Hi, ladies. Welcome to the Virtue Podcast. My name is Zenovia Bernier, and I'm thrilled to be able to spend a little time with you this week as we focus on John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. We're now in our fourth week of our series titled Seven Signs of Jesus. Oh, how I wish I could be a fly on the wall of your heart as we read and meditate on all that Jesus did. Is your faith in his power increasing? Are you gaining new motivation to continue to follow hard after him and share the good news of salvation with others? Is your trust in him growing with each passing day as you recount the miracles that he did, not only while he was here on earth, but also now that he's in your heart? These are just a few of the things I would want to know if we were talking face-to-face about our way-making, miracle-working Savior. You know, lots of people call these Bible stories, but these are not just Bible stories. These are true accounts that, as Tiffany Velasquez said a few weeks back, authenticate and confirm the ministry of Jesus and reveal His glory. Each miracle or sign had a purpose for the lives of the people who experienced or witnessed them. And they have a purpose for our lives as well. In chapter 20, verse 31 of the Gospel of John, he said, These have been written so that you may believe with a deep abiding trust that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed, the Son of God, and that by believing and trusting in and relying on Him, you may have life in His name. That was from the Amplified Version, by the way. In the ESV Bible, it says that you may continue to believe. You see, this isn't just about bringing more lost people into the family of God. This is also about us, the believers. It's about strengthening our faith. It's about not allowing ourselves to become fruitless in our faith, but to be more and more convinced about who Jesus is and more and more intent on seeing His glory displayed in our lives. In verses 1 to 3 of our chapter, it says that Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, followed by a great multitude, because they had seen the miracles he performed on those who were sick. And then Jesus went up on the mountain and sat there with his disciples. The first thing I want to point out to you is found in verse 2, where it says, because they had seen. These people were following Jesus, chasing him down, basically, because they had seen what he had already done. They didn't just see it, talk about how amazing it was, and go on their merry way. They kept pursuing him. Though they didn't understand yet that Jesus was the Messiah who would later die on the cross for their sins, they had seen enough to want to be close to him and witness more of his miracles. If that's how those who didn't know him yet as their Lord and Savior reacted, how much more so should we as believers react to Jesus? If you've accepted Jesus as Lord, then you have experienced the greatest miracle that anyone ever can. Because we are sinners deserving of hell, but because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, when we accepted him and became children of God, we received the promise of heaven, complete with the seal of the Holy Spirit. What a miracle! And it doesn't matter if your life before Christ was full of addictions and debauchery, or if you grew up in a good home with believing parents. It wasn't until you made the realization for yourself that your sin separated you from God and that the only way to the Father was through Jesus Christ, that this miracle of eternal life in heaven became yours. That alone is enough for us to be part of the multitude that can't help but to follow Jesus wherever He goes in anticipation of all that He can do. We must keep reminding ourselves of the miracle of our salvation. 
Now let's read together verses 4 to 7 from our text. It says, Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. Did you notice what it said in verse 6? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. To test or prove here means to try, make trial of, test for the purpose of ascertaining his quality or what he thinks or how he will behave himself. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He knew what the need was, and he was moved with compassion. He already made provision before the need was even presented. He wasn't testing the multitude of people who came hungry and expectant. He was testing his own disciple, who had spent so much time with him, listening to him, learning from him, and witnessing his signs. He was testing the quality of his faith. It's easy to forget, at least in the moment of our testing, that God purposes to refine our faith through it. But His Word gives us many examples of God doing this. In Psalm 66.5, it says, Come and see what our God has done, what awesome miracles He performs for people. He made a dry path through the Red Sea, and His people went across on foot. There we rejoiced in Him. And then in verse 10, it says, You have tested us, O God. You have purified us like silver. Ladies, it's important to mention that the testing of one's faith is not the same as the temptation of one's flesh. The Lord tests our faith to refine us. The devil tempts our flesh to entice us. We need to know the difference and act accordingly. In James 1.13, it says, When you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. So he won't tempt us, sisters, but he will test us. Pastor Greg once said, God will test you because he wants you to mature. He wants you to develop a walk with him that is not based on your fluctuating emotions, but on your commitment to him as you learn to walk by faith. These disciples were there when Jesus turned the water into wine at the wedding in John 2. They were there when Jesus healed the nobleman's son in John 4. They were there when he healed the lame man in John 5. But when Philip looked at the crowd, the need of the people was overwhelming, and he became distracted. He forgot about everything he's already seen and already knew about Jesus. Now let's not dismiss the gravity of the situation. There were around 5,000 hungry men looking to Jesus. When you include their wives and children who were with them, it's believed that there were over 10,000 people. It's altogether possible that there wasn't enough food in the town even available to purchase to feed these people, even if they did have the money. Philip knew this. He had a very clear understanding of the need. Girls, there's absolutely nothing wrong with recognizing a need. I mean, how else can we know what to petition from God? Determining the need is not the problem. The problem is when we let the urgency of that need deter our faith. In our text this week, it was evident that there was a great need. But ladies, we have a great God. And maybe you're going through something right now, and your need is so great that it's going to take a miracle to meet it. Remember what you've already seen and what you already know about Jesus. 
Don't let your desperation distract you from trusting in the omnipotence of our Lord. Maybe your marriage is hanging on by a thread, or your child has walked away from God, or you have a health crisis that could change everything for you and your family, or your financial situation is so bleak that you have no idea how you're going to pay your bills. Recognize the need, but don't let your heart be overwhelmed by it that you forget about the faithfulness of the one who died for you. You've seen him work before. He can do it again. Remember 2 Corinthians 12, 9. The Lord reminded Paul, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. When we go to him in our weakness, it makes way for him to work wonders in our lives. When our circumstances are desperate, we can choose to be despondent and full of fear or determined and full of faith. The same Jesus who worked the miracles in the book of John is the same Jesus working in our lives right now. Let us remember what Jesus said in Luke 18, 27. What is impossible for people is possible with God. Let us remember all the time we spent with Him, listening to Him, learning from Him, and witnessing the work He's already done in our lives. Nothing is too hard for Him, ladies. Now, moving down to verse 8 of our chapter, we read that one of the disciples noticed a boy holding five barley loaves and two small fish. It was clearly not enough to feed so many, but Jesus took the loaves of bread and fish and multiplied them to feed all those people. This is miraculous. There's just so much in these verses, I'm getting stirred up just thinking about it. And did you notice how Jesus chose to do this? Jesus chose to use a child with little means to do something of big proportion. We don't even ever learn his name. As a child, he was just someone at that time that many would not pay attention to. He didn't have much significance. But Jesus chose him. Jesus could have chosen someone with status, or he could have just spoken food into existence. He is God incarnate after all. But he wanted to use an unexpected person to showcase his glory. He chose to use someone that no one would think to use. Well, the devil loves to lie to us about our usefulness to God, doesn't he? When the truth is, the Lord uses, quote-unquote, insignificant, ordinary people to do magnificent, extraordinary things every day. But here's the thing, girls. We must be willing to give him everything we have. Even if by our standards, what we have is so little, so ragged, or so unimpressive, Jesus can work miracles with it. The barley loaves were a poor man's feast, but it didn't matter to Jesus. He doesn't value things the way man does. What mattered to Jesus was the willingness of this boy to give it all to him and the obedience of his disciples to believe he could provide. To Jesus, our faith is more valuable than our fortune. You may think that God can't use you because you're new to the faith or you don't know a lot about the Bible or because you have some sort of physical or financial limitation. Listen, he can use what little you do know, what little you do have, or what little you can do to bring glory to his name, but you must willingly give it to him. As you give him your life every day, giving him power of attorney, so to speak, over your time, your pursuits, your family, your ministry, and your finances, he can take it, distribute it where he sees best, and multiply it by the thousands to impact more people than we could ever fathom. That's what he did in our text. 
And he didn't just perform this amazing miracle by multiplying five loaves of bread and two measly little fish into an amount that fed 5,000 hungry men and their families. He went a step further. He made it so each person could eat as much as they wanted. And he went a step further than that because he even made sure there were leftovers. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. What Jesus did was beyond what that little boy or any of his disciples could have ever imagined. But he did it to provide for the need at hand and to display his glory. Let me ask you this. Does the Lord desire to use you to display his glory today? The answer is yes. No need to think about it. He says so in his word. Matthew 5.16 Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and moral excellence and recognize and honor and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Listen to how we're described in Ephesians 2.20. For we are his workmanship, his own masterwork, a work of art, created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. We are works of art, so we ought to live our lives in a way that shows the world who the artist is. So how do we apply what we're learning to our lives today? I think the first thing we need to do is ask the Lord this question. What five loaves and two fish do I have that you want to take and distribute to showcase your glory? Ladies, no matter how small or insignificant it may seem to us, if we give it to Him, He can multiply it. Or perhaps it's something that isn't small and holds a lot of value to you, but you don't want to give up control over it. God can do more in an instant with anything we have than we could ever do in a lifetime. Let me give you a very current example like every Christian, our pastor, Greg Glory and his wife, Kathy, have a testimony of how they came to know the Lord. They came to faith during what was called the Jesus Movement. Now, they've made a movie called Jesus Revolution that chronicles their story. For those who have attended Harvest for a while or who listen to Pastor Greg on the radio, you know that he is an evangelistic pastor, and he and Kathy are burdened to see sinners get saved. They see how dark the world has become and how urgent the need is for people to hear about Jesus. They are clearly aware of the multitude of hungry souls searching for truth. So when the opportunity arose to make the film Jesus Revolution, they had a choice to make. They could have concluded that there were just too many needy people or too many resistant people that there's no way their story would make a difference. But they didn't do that. They didn't allow the desperation of the situation to make them despondent or fearful. Instead, they remembered about all the time they spent with Jesus, learning from Him, listening to Him, and watching Him work in their lives. They knew, they know, that the same Jesus who multiplied the loaves and fish in our chapter is the same Jesus working in their lives today. 
They freely gave him their lives, their resources, their ministry, and their prayers. And we are seeing the impact in our country that their faith has made. The gospel is being shared with a multitude of hungry people. People are being saved right there inside the theaters. And more and more theaters are showing this movie. We live in a very aggressive and hateful cancel culture, so for this to be happening is huge. This is exceedingly and abundantly more than we could have ever imagined, and we are witnesses to it. To God be the glory. Jesus still performs miracles today. I want to close this time by reading some of the lyrics to a worship song that beautifully express the reasonable response we should all have because of what we already know about Jesus. We've heard that there is no way through. We've heard the tide will never change. They haven't seen what you can do. There is power in your name. So much power in your name. Move the unmovable. Break the unbreakable. God, we believe. God, we believe for it. From the impossible, we'll see a miracle. God, we believe. God, we believe for it. Now that's a song of confidence, isn't it? That should be our song, our prayer, when we're put to the test. Because we have seen what He can do. So ladies, let's believe for it. God bless you girls.